What are you doing here? Seriously, I'm asking you. What are you doing here? Why are you here? In our first lesson, Elijah, the context is Elijah has just asked to die. Um, He was, we won't go into the whole context, but he was burned out, depressed, distressed, uh, fearing for his life. The wicked Queen Jezebel had just vowed to kill him within 24, 36 hours, and he had fled, run. And he prayed, It's enough. Now, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Now, note this, Elijah, Elijah's like way, way up there in terms of the great people of the Bible. I mean, he's top five, arguably, (laughs) in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. And this is where he finds himself. As you approach Lent on this last Sunday of Epiphany, three days away, where do you find yourself? What are you doing here? And you can interpret here however you want. What are you doing here? Are you on the run from something? Are you afraid of something or angry or grieving? In Emotionally Healthy Spirituality this last week, we read and discussed chapter two, which is entitled, Know Yourself That You May Know God. And we heard quoted St. Augustine, 400 uh, A.D., or common era, whatever, 400, writing, how can you draw close to God when you're far from your own self? And he prayed, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know you. Or St. Teresa of Avila, who has become one of my favorites in the 16th century, wrote and counseled, Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. So God says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold the Lord pass by. That's what the ESV says. The New Revised Standard Version, which I've been using lately, says... Go and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Either way, we read. There was a very mighty wind. Did you hear that? How that was described as Mark read it? There was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. What category is that? That is like way, that's like a 10 or something. But the Lord 
was not in the hurricane, the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. So the air was violently turbulent. The ground is shaking and turbulent and shaking and unstable and unsettled. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire as he once was on another mountain for another prophet. And after the fire, I love this new Revised Standard Version of it, after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. Uh, We heard the ESV says, after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Classically, it was a still small voice. Another version um, that I was looking at said, after the fire, there was a soft whisper. Or the footnote to that said, a voice, a calm and soft. I will note that ESV in the footnote, I'm pointing to Brooke because she's holding the ESV right there. Um, There's a footnote that says, or a sound, a thin silence. God called Elijah to silence, or, or at least to a low, soft whisper. Have you, heard, have you ever heard of acoustic ecology? Did you know that this is actually a scientific discipline? Acoustic ecology. Uh, sometimes it's called soundscape studies. It's a discipline that studies the relationship mediated through sound between humans and their environment. Um, Delightfully, like about a week ago, I had my Apple Music on shuffle, just playing everything in my library, and what comes up is an interview from years ago that I had obviously downloaded Krista Tippett from On Being, um, interviewing Gordon Hempton, who is an acoustic ecologist, a professional listener, particularly to the natural world. And he has like hundreds and hundreds and thousands of recordings of the beach at Cape Cod, the rainforest or the tropical forest up in Northwest Washington. Tons. Anyway, he also is a silence activist. He says silence is an endangered species on the verge of extinction. And he defines real quiet as presence. Not the absence of sound, but an absence of noise. Ruth Haley Barton uh, is a leader, um, practitioner, student in the area of Christian spirituality and spiritual formation, extremely gifted. 
Um, she wrote an image, uh, she wrote about an image that her spiritual director shared with her, um, quote, Ruth, you are like a jar of river water all shaken up. What you need to do is sit still long enough so that the sediment can settle and the water clears. When Elijah heard it, heard what? When he heard the silence? When he heard the whisper? It just says when he heard it. When he heard it, he wrapped his face, covered his eyes in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him that said, Repeat, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, Elijah never actually answers that question. Well, not directly anyway. And my point is not so much all that's going on there, except in part that Elijah does not know what's going on really with him or where he is. And God does correct him uh, when he says, it's just me, I'm all alone, I've been the faithful one. And God says, no, you're actually a part of a community. You're, you're actually a part of 7,000 people who have not uh, bowed the knee to Baal. Um, and you have a purpose and you have a mission. Gordon Hempton talks about, that's the acoustic ecologist, um, you know, argues that we're born listeners. And the younger, the younger you are, the more attentive you are to being present with what is around you. He talks about taking a child, preferably younger, like on a nature walk and says, you don't get very far before the miracles start happening. Let's just sit down right here. Um, that when I read that, I heard that first and then went back and was reading the transcript, I thought about Nature Connect. And I remember hearing Brinkley talk about taking the children, little children, like four years old, into the woods, sitting down next to a tree and being quiet for like at least five minutes. Is that right? Does that sound familiar, nature correct, parents? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? And so Gordon Hempton says that is often the big challenge for adults when it comes to silence because we're so busy being someplace else. When we're here, we're busy being somewhere else. When we're in a silent place, there are no distractions. We finally get to meet ourselves. And we could say God. And that, he says, can be frightening, which is why some of us avoid it at all costs. Silence, this scripture may be inferring, is necessary to even consider the question where we are and what we're doing here.
Solitude and silence are classic spiritual disciplines or practices. Um, Next week, we'll hear the gospel will be about Jesus being alone in silence in the desert before he enters his public ministry. Um, You may want to give silence, solitude, a practice, a try in the season of Lent as we deal with all the stuff, all the things we have as supports and protectors um, as we seek to draw nearer and nearer to Jesus Christ and his passion and resurrection. In Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, one more about that, um, we are asked to practice silence. Um, Actually, two kind of devotional times each day each one preceded and followed by two minutes of silence. Eight minutes of silence. And here's the point that they make in EHS, but also about this practice of solitude and silence. It is not just to get a word from God. It is not just so you can give all your words to God. It is to be with God. And dear ones, that's not the same thing, being with God as to, oh, I've got to get a word or I've got to tell him. Being with. The call, I think, today from the Spirit, from the Lord, is to be present. Be present with God, with ourselves, with his good creation so that we can listen to what's going on with us. Listen, yes, to God. Listen, yes, to his world. To restate Deacon Dan's sermon in words that are consistent with this is we need presence before purpose. We need silence and solitude before we go out on mission. We need to be before we go and be and come and see. Kept wanting to break into a rap with that. <laughs> with them. Yeah. Our gospel take us to another mountain at another time. Or maybe not. Maybe it's one of these wrinkle in time things, which is cool to think about, but we're not going there today. Um, where Elijah shows up and Moses. And Jesus is transfigured and brilliant in light and glory. And this happens just after Jesus revealed or the Father revealed that Jesus was going to suffer and be rejected and be killed, that he was the Messiah and this is what it meant and looked like, that he would be killed and he would rise on the third day and that he would come in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. And so three of them alone, away. And it says they're terrified. Not unlike Elijah. They are terrified. They are terrified. And so what, you know, so Peter just enters into this deep reflective silence. 
not, right? Terrified, talk. Terrified, do something to, and there's a, there's a lot of richness to talk, that we could go into to talk about the, the tents, the tabernacles, the booths, and the Feast of Tabernacles and the coming of the Messiah and all of that. That's not, I don't think, God's word for today. It was this cloud, not, not an earthquake, not fire, not wind, this cloud, this unsettling act of nature, darkness and disorientation, and it's, it's as if, maybe I'm putting it on the text, but it's if, as if <laughs> the first voice, hushed whisper, is what are you doing here, Peter? What are you doing here? When we can hear heaven, I wonder and I want to humbly submit today, when we can hear heaven, this is likely what we'll hear. This is my son. I love him and delight in him. If we can hear heaven, we will hear, I love you, I delight in you. We will hear the Holy Trinity glorying in each other. I love you, I delight in you, I honor you, I glory in you. Father to the Son, the Son to the Spirit, the Spirit. This, this is the experience of the Trinity forever and ever and ever. And we who were made by him, through him, for him, upheld in this moment by him, whether we love and trust him or not, through him that word of love and delight comes. I want to suggest to you that this is the, the soundscape of God's universe. I love you. I delight in you. Maybe this is one way we can say this is the word of the Father. I love you and delight in you. Could it, could it be this scandalous gospel, this too good to be true news that this really is the fundamental reality of the universe? The whisper that we rarely hear that's always going on. I love you. I delight in you. The primal, creative, originating, embracing soundscape of everything. I heard it yesterday in this space, right here, right here, when Ty and Carly got married. I love you, I delight in you. 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 Yes, the soundscape of the universe is amazing. Hurricanes and earthquakes and fire and dark clouds and thunder and lightning and rustling leaves and singing birds and falling rain. 
rolling waves. But what about the soft whisper, the sheer silence? I love you, I delight in you. I love you, I delight in you. Can you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you repent of all the ways you resist that and try to feel that some other way than trusting that it's true? The love and delight of the Holy Trinity, one for another, and then splashing over in generative, very goodness. It's interesting that silent and listen have the same exact letters in them. Can we listen? Can we hear it? I love you. I delight in you.